Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Introverted noise. Oh, yeah, daddy. Alright, and welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Protectors Podcast. I am your host, Jason Brown. You can find me on Twitter at BrownJason. And uh, we don't have the full crew. We are cut in half. Nick had actual real work to get done this evening. But that's alright. We're still going to bring you this wonderful analysis because we have the good man, the good doctor, Eric Eager, my man. How you doing? How you been? You know, I'm doing well. Uh, Sunday was a a great game. Um, Obviously, the Vikings didn't come out uh, on top, but it's sort of fun to, you know, get to play those games, get to see the Vikings fans in the stands in Kansas City. Uh, Just an all-around kind of fun Sunday. And and what was kind of a crappy week for games, uh, you know, there weren't a lot of great games on the slate. So on to Dallas. Yeah, so how does that work for you? Because we know that, you know, you know, the Vikings are like your hometown team. Kansas City is like your adopted child. Yeah. So in a game like this, like how does this go down for you? How does this work? It's usually pretty simple, actually. I mean, for you know, the I just root for PFF's product, and I think we had an edge on Kansas City plus five and a half. I think where it closed, uh, so I rooted. On, I wouldn't have been upset if the Vikings won by three um, or less. You know, four or less, basically, but. Um, you know, that, that Kansas city, uh, won the game outright was also like a small bet that I think we had, our model would have, would have suggested. So in that regard, it's almost always the, the, the brand. And at the same time, like I'm never really, I I would never get upset had the Vikings won, obviously, but uh, I don't think they deserved it anyway. All right. So let's get to it. Um, because that is a general sentiment and I actually didn't watch the game live on Sunday. I was running around doing dad stuff for the majority of the day. So I watched the condensed version and boy, was I glad that I only had to invest 42 minutes into this game as opposed to you know three plus hours because uh, it just was a, it was a weird game. It was not a great game. Kirk Cousins just did not look to, to be himself, wasn't able to settle in. And just a lot of the things that I think that, uh, you know, we as Vikings fans expect to see, especially out of the offense going into this game, just didn't come to fruition. So, Eric, I'm, I'm I'm hoping you'll be able to help me out here because, you know, to my understanding, going into this game, Kansas City was not a great defensive team. Um, if anything, most were expecting it to be just kind of an outright shootout, and or that we would just overwhelm their their defense, and then our defense would be better than you know their Matt Moore led offense and. It was kind of strange to see, you know, Matt Moore and Kurt Cousins kind of 
duel it out and be on equivalent levels from an offense or Matt Moore to even maybe have the edge on Kirk Cousins in the game. What were you seeing from an analyst perspective on this one? Yeah, the the interesting thing about the Chiefs is that defensively, they've been much improved. And it was weird because their best defensive player is Chris Jones, who I've sort of said for a while now is kind of like John Randall, you know, the Hall of Fame defensive tackle of the Vikings, probably one of the best players that ever put on the purple uniform. Um, and the interesting thing about John Randall was he's, he was a, an undersized defensive tackle. And, you know, the Chiefs were, you know, he... Jones had 15 and a half sacks last year, but he was part of the reason they were so poor defensively. Um, and he was hurt the last couple weeks, and they put in a couple guys that they used mid-round draft picks on, Derek Nottie and Kylan Saunders, to play the basically the interior, and then they trusted their outside guys and their blitzers to get pressure. And what the byproduct of that has been that they've been pretty good against the run. So uh, we said Dalvin Cook, I think, had and this was a, a review, but the, the original tweet was zero yards before contact as a rusher on Sunday. Um, that's not going to get it done. Uh, and then Kirk, you know, when he was under pressure, you know, only averaged uh, under two yards per pass attempt, which, again, is not going to get the job done. Um, so. Kansas City was supposed to be bad defensively this season. I think part of, and part of me says they haven't been tested, you know, in the secondary um, the last few weeks once they've started to learn how to stop the run. Um, but nonetheless, they're a lot better than people expected. And when I look at the way that the Vikings played, I remember you know talking about talking about this with my friends at the at work that day. The Vikings defense did a great job as they normally do of pursuing. Right, they didn't let the Chiefs get a lot of yards after contact, a lot of yards after catch, except for like a couple plays. And those couple plays, you know, when you have a backup quarterback, you absolutely need. Uh, and the Chiefs ended up getting it in the uh, you know ninety-plus yard touchdown run from Damian Williams, the couple long passes to Tyree Kill, uh, and then late in the game, uh, some conversions on some deep passes over the middle of the field to Hill and to Kelsey. So. Not a terrible effort for the Vikings defense, but a pretty poor effort for the Vikings offense. It really looked like they did not plan or anticipate on not having Adam Thielen. Yeah, so I guess talk to me about that a little bit. Obviously, Adam Thielen, um, you know, has the hamstring, so it was touch and go on whether he was going to be able to play. And if he did play, just given that the injury happened so recently, I mean, it was a long shot that he was going to be 100%. So I guess, yeah, it's, it's, it seems odd that just the loss of Adam Thielen would have changed the entire kind of scope of the offense. I mean, they lost him in the Detroit game and were still able to go out and, and put up points. So what do you think was different in this matchup? Or what did KC do differently, What I guess, once he left to uh, really shut Diggs out of the game? Well, I think the Vikings simply just weren't efficient offensively on early downs. And that put him in a position where, you know, if you're ahead of the sticks, as they were much of the game in Washington, much of the game in Detroit, you don't need to play multiple wide receivers. You can be multiple offensively. You can go ahead uh, and have Irv Smith, uh, you know, on the field a lot. And then granted, he got six targets the other day at a drop. Um, but, you know, he can be on the field more often and not telegraph things. Um, you know, you can play, you know, uh, CJ Ham a lot more, uh, you know, that you know, and throw him the ball. And again, he made some plays the other day as well. But like, if you're not efficient offensively, then you need to get into these three wide receiver sets. And these three wide receiver sets are going to have a seventh round pick who is pretty good, but still like sort of learning and Laquan Treadwell, who the Vikings didn't want on their team this year. Um, and so for me, it's like, well, OK, what 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 
what are ways to make offenses look bad? Well, ways to make offenses look bad is to get them off a of schedule, and they were off schedule against Kansas City quite a bit, uh, and that forced them to look bad, whereas the last two weeks prior, you know, the, the Thielen injury didn't hurt as much because they were, you know, playing from ahead, and, and not only ahead on the scoreboard, but ahead uh, in terms of down and distance. Yeah, so so to that point, I mean, <laughs> you know, Treadwell was was... was kind of the feature player he had a career career high i believe uh in in yards in this game he seemed to be the guy that we were going to but you said this was this was happening a lot because they were playing behind the chains again so you had these mid-round you know picks in there i guess clogging up the interior but like are those players are they good players like what does does pff think about Nadi and uh and and Kalen saunders in terms of what they were before this game because it just seems that you know the vikings in the rushing attack dalvin cook leading the league in rushing um yeah, it just seems odd that the the insertion of of two kind of mid round defensive tackles would would cause them this much trouble uh, getting the run game going. Yeah, I mean the they had played well the last few games against Denver for for sure on the Thursday night that Mahomes got hurt, and then against Green Bay. Green Bay did much of their damage throwing the ball to running backs as opposed to handing it to them. So in in some sense, it was already it was, you know, in, in some sense. Saunders and Nadi had played well. We really liked them coming out as edge run stuffing defensive tackles. And and there's something to be said for, you know, if your team is absolutely a sieve against the run, at least having those two guys uh, clog the holes, as long as you can get pr- pressure from the edge, you're okay. Although the Vikings are starting to see the limitations of that as well. Um, but it wasn't, they, they're not, it wasn't Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox in the middle for sure. And I think, you know, the whole time I'm watching that game and I'm thinking Pat Elfline's the worst player on the Vikings and, and Garrett Bradbury, um, you know, is better than he is, but, but still has a long way to go. You know, he improved, uh, you know, the past four weeks, but he took very much took a step back. Uh, Josh Klein wasn't great either. Um, but you know, the, the three of them combined, you're talking about eight hurries, a sack and a hit just between the three of them. Um, so you know, I think it's a little bit the Vikings not executing up front. I think it's a little bit the Chiefs being a lot better and and being something that they're usually not. Uh, and that caused poor offensive play by Minnesota. And then then you're throwing a treadwall on third and long. Yeah, and so what you just brought up there is an interesting thing for me here because we're, we're talking a lot about the interior offensive line of the, uh, the Minnesota Vikings. And that kind of harkens back to, I guess, the conversation that uh, I'm not sure if it was this offseason, the previous offseason, but a conversation that was had I guess maybe for a day or two on, on, on analytics Twitter about, you know, inside pressure versus outside pressure, which one is, is more important, which one is more damaging. Um, but the Vikings, are, are they now a case study in, in kind of which is more important to an offense? Is this something that's quarterback specific? Because it seems that when Kirk Cousins gets pressure, you know, up the middle, he just he isn't as adept. I guess really when he gets pressure, period, he's not as adept as maybe some others as as finding space in the pocket. Is that more damaging when the pressure is coming from in front of him? Well, I, I haven't looked at him specifically, but I know for most quarterbacks, pressure from the edge is more valuable just because it can lead to more turnovers. You're talking about strip sacks. You're talking about um, things that really crater an offense's opportunity to win a football game. Um, but Cousins specifically, like, it's interesting because the data on Cousins says that he's neither good nor bad under pressure, right? We saw last season his passer rating when pressured was in the top 10 in the league. And then, you know, this game it wasn't. And, you know, I, I think it's 
I think it's sort of like how the pressure happens. But no, I mean, across the league, we've seen that interior pressure is bad for a quarterback to face for sure, but not as bad as edge pressure. Um, and and that's just, again, because of the strip sacks and the things that can really bury you offensively. Interior pressure, um, you know, quarterbacks can sort of step out. Um, you know, they can, they can uh, you, you know, it does reduce the field read, you know, by a little bit, but we still don't see that in the EPA data. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting case study for sure. But uh, I think for Cousins specifically, it just was, you know, the last four weeks he was good, no matter if you pressured him or not. Uh, and this week, um, you know, he just struggled there. And, and the Chiefs did a great job, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the pressures they did bring in terms of, you know, not having Frank Clark, having to use some blitzers. But also, you know, and this is probably the most important thing, just getting the Vikings in situations where, they weren't ahead and, and, you know, uh, scheming different plays and things like that. They, from my, from my watch, they used Daniel Sorensen, a safety on Dalvin cook more than they did on Aaron Jones a week ago. So they just did a lot of things that I think were very smart this week, uh, and reap the benefits oh. of it. Cause when, when, I, I mean, I guess, yeah, it's tough because the other team can just do something that's smart, but then that leads to the, the question. I mean, were the Vikings, you know, out coached then, and I guess from what you can see, what were the actual coverage grades for the players in, in, on the Kansas City defense? Because, you know, obviously going into a game like this with what what he had been doing over the previous few weeks, one would have expected that Stefan Diggs would have gone crazy in this game. And um, that was decidedly not the case. Was, was he just being clamped on or was Kirk Cousins not looking his way? Was the scheme that Kansas City running just something that we weren't ready for and it just kind of erased him from from the progression? I guess what happened there and why weren't we really able to get the downfield passing game going in this game? This is Advertiser Content, brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy, here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down... We break down who will be cutting... Cut! What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snackin'. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. 
New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I mean, it was a lot of Chris Jones, right? And so I talk about, you know, in early in John Randall's career, he was an interior player, and then they started to have more talent on the on the interior with Jerry Ball, Tony Williams, eventually Chris Hovan, that John Randall had to play on the outside on early downs and swing inside on passing downs. That's exactly what Jones did against the Vikings. He had six total pressures, five hurries, three stops in the run game. Um, so he really affected things both inside and outside um, for that um, uh, for that team. But, um, you know, on the back end, yeah, you got good games. Uh, Charvarius Ward, who was an undrafted uh, free agent from Dallas that the Chiefs got in a trade last year, who started, looked a little bad at the end of the year, but has, by all intents and purposes, done very well. Um, you know, they got a couple guys, you know, uh, Morris Claiborne, who I think you remember a top five pick from LSU. He played okay. Um, Brashad Breland, not so much. But again, like, it was more that these guys didn't get tested nearly as much because Kirk was sort of off. Uh, you know, the the one that brings out to me was that deep pass to, the, uh, to Diggs um, early in the game that they just didn't connect on. So uh, Chiefs were without their best corner, Kendall Fuller, who plays in the slot. He has a broken thumb still. So um, I think it was mostly just that Kirk was off and um, they were somewhat un- uh, poorly coached because, uh, you know, again, they weren't successful in early downs and that's a real easy way to, to, you know, a heuristic for how well a team is coached. And, you know, those those early down, you know, failures for them really hurt. Uh, and and coupled with the inaccuracies of Kirk really just lead to underwhelming offense. All right. So uh, I want to get to the Kirk being off thing. But uh, one other thing I wanted to get your, your thoughts on, because, of course, uh, at halftime of the game, again, after the game, and then, you know, obviously that, that trickles into the, the Twitter conversations. But there was a lot of talk from Zimmer about the team needing to be more balanced, the team not uh, running the ball enough. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Is that something that was, was b- borne out by the numbers? Because when you just look at the high-level box scores, numbers, I mean, Dalvin Cook was held to 3.4 yards per carry. The other running backs were held to two or fewer yards per carry. Um, would running more have, have been something that, that would have helped in this game because it, it didn't seem that way based on the overall numbers or, or maybe are those numbers telling a story that isn't altogether um, an accurate one? Well, when you're not getting any yards before contact, it's really hard to sort of, you know, justify the, the, the run attack, right? I mean, um, you know, you saw we saw Sunday Night Football, one of the more impressive games we've seen all season. Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mark Ingram, they had 124 rushing yards against New England before contact. Right. Like that's that's really what the if you want to talk about what's the value of a pass over a run, it's the fact that you don't get contacted before, you know, catching the ball generally. And if you, you know, don't get contacted like four or five, six yards downfield on every run before you, you know, before you get hit, then I, I take running as an efficient, uh, I'll take running as an efficient play all day long. Um, so that's really, you know, that's really the reason if you look at it, they're just weren't efficient. And then, it, you know, it sort of forced them to do more passing. Um, I would have liked to see more passes to Dalvin Cook, you know, and I, when I say passes to Dalvin Cook, I mean like more kind of down the field, use the fact that he's a plus receiver in the passing game, you know, to really, um, you know, accentuate that. Um, but, you know, I don't think the run pass splits were were bad. 
Um, I just think, you know, they leaned on a quarterback who had been historically good for a Viking for a month and he failed them. All right. So let's bring it back to that, because that's obviously something we have to talk about. And I'm not going to, Eric, I actually got some grief. Coworker, shout out to my man, Justin, has started to listen to the show. And he was giving me grief because he felt that uh, maybe someone had, had hacked my feed, felt that I was being overly uh, complimentary of one Kirk Cousins, which goes to show people, you know, we, we try to adjust our takes based on what the evidence is saying at the time. That's just being Kirk a reasonable person. Was playing well. I feel like I should be able to say that. Yep. Do I still have, you know, some concerns about Kirk Cousins that may have been born out in this Kansas City game? Of course I do. But yes, when he was playing well, I felt like that is the thing to do. I need to be able to say that he's playing well. But in this game, Kirk just did not seem to be there. He did not seem to have the same swagger. He wasn't stepping into throws the way that he had been. Um, he was missing on plays that even like just easy plays, checkdowns, things like that. Um, how does PFF measure that? I know that in the uh, like the QB annual, um, there'll be a lot of that, uh, you know, the accuracy type data. Is that stuff that's compiled throughout the season? Because this looked like it was a game from a, just a, a general throwing of the ball and accuracy standpoint that would be an awful one for Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I mean, just even look at, you know, he he completed only one pass over 20 yards downfield in the game. But even if you look at things like between 10 and 19 yards, that's where a quarterback really should be making plays um, with the ball. He was only, let me count this here. So he only had seven completions on 14 attempts. So he's only 50% throwing the ball between 10 and uh, 19 yards or zero and nine yards downfield. I'm sorry. So like passes that are like gimmies. He was two for six for 27 yards throwing short, right? Um, you know, he was actually better in the 10 to 19 area. He just had, you know, fewer throws. So it was kind of an off day for him. And you, you're a quarterback and you can't hit those zero to nine yard throws. I mean, you shouldn't even be there. So that was a, that was a really rough part for him. As you said, he handled pressure poorly. This was actually adjusted from when I said so. So I'm finally looking at it again. Um, but he was only four for 16 on pressure dropbacks. He was pressured 17 of 40 times, which is really high uh, for, you know, the last month or so. Um, he only averaged 3.4 yards per pass attempt, took a sack. But even when clean, he only averaged seven and a half yards per pass attempt. And that's really when he's been making hay uh, over the past four weeks. So uh, I'd have to look at a little bit deeper at the accuracy stuff. But just even looking at like, you know, very low grade accuracy data, he was poor uh, on Sunday. And um, and, you know, and you're just not giving your receivers an opportunity in those cases. I, I, I think it was the play. Uh, I can't remember where he threw the ball underneath where you know the the receiver had like a mile in front of him and he just like threw it behind him and it you know took what could have been a great drive and made it a three and out almost immediately all right so i guess the last thing i have because i think at this point jason no, you seem I, I down mean, on this you know, right now you see it, down because yeah. i mean this was the kind of game obviously going into kansas city and we talked about it a little bit earlier in the season you know home field advantage all those sorts of things and this is the kind of game that i mean the team should have won you know patrick you they're missing the MVP. We should be able to go in. You hold them to a reasonable amount. They don't have a great defense. This is obviously the type of game that you want to go in. You want to see your high-priced quarterback play well in, and you want to come out with a win regardless of what else goes on. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it is a disappointment. But I guess the last takeaway that I want to get from you as it pertains to this game is this something that we should be concerned about as an overall you know trend. Something that gets spoken about a lot is that, you know, against – 
good teams we don't play as well, which is something that just seems like it should be self-evident. If you're playing a good team, it's going to be more difficult. So you're probably not going to play as well against a good team as you would against a really bad team. But we're, we, we don't, we're, we're struggling to beat the quote unquote good teams. And Kansas City is one of those. So is that a sort of trend that we should be pulling out that like we're doing badly against good teams or Mike Zimmer's teams don't show up against good teams? Or is the previous, you know, four games of data in which we were looking like a juggernaut or the overall season data that still has us as one of the top teams in the league? Like, as we project forward, and especially as we project into this very important game against the Cowboys, which piece of the data is the more important data for us to look at as we project the team forward? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think what, you know, what where I stand is, I think the Vikings are just profoundly unpredictable. And, you know, even to, you know, your point Thursday night, two weeks ago, the Vikings were, and it closed at 17 point favorites against, uh, against Washington. And we said, you know, other than the Buffalo game, the Vikings at home have been a team that covers the spread against horrible teams and struggles against good teams. And we saw, you know, some, we saw some counter examples to that, um, you know, relatively recently, um, you know, for example, Detroit on the road, uh, you know, was a good win. Philadelphia at home was a good win, all that kind of stuff. And then Kansas City, as you said, like as we go through the the season and we look and say, okay, that's a win, that's a loss, that's a win, that's a loss. Kansas City was always a loss, right? Like we always said, they're going to be seven-point underdogs in this game, um, and they ended up being five-and-a-half-point favorites, and they can't get it done. And that's a big disappointment. So I agree with that, and I think – but moving forward, it's it's one of those things where I don't think that there's going to be a game. We could look at it, you know, post talk, but there's never going to be a game the rest of this season or the rest of the Cousins era, in my estimation, where we say Kirk can't do this. Okay, he can do it. I think against any team in the NFL, Kirk can do it. Like he's got the skills. The Vikings' offense is good enough. All that kind of stuff. And there's never going to be a game the rest of the Cousins era where the Vikings are a lock. Like, it is literally every single side of the coin. Whereas Kansas City with Mahomes, every single game that Mahomes has started for Kansas City, except for one, they've scored 26 or more points, right? So there's almost like, and with Tom Brady, it's again, it's similar. Like your quarterback is going to give you good play, all that kind of stuff. With Kirk, he can be the worst quarterback in the NFL some games. He can be the best quarterback in the NFL and I think any any anything beyond that is trying to find a pattern where none exists. Like they play poorly against good teams because they're they're not as good as good teams sometimes, you know. And um, so, unfortunately, that's not a great answer, but it, I think it's the truth. No, that that's a that's a very good answer from my perspective because you know this you know, there there's a lot of uncertainty in these things. So I feel like people who are get locked into a, a specific take or. Uh, Something that is, you know, particularly certain outside of the fact that, you know, maybe Kirk Cousins uh, does not have some of the mental toughness that we would like to see out of uh, your starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, takes outside of that uh, that that have too much certainty. I, I generally, I generally don't trust. But uh, you said something about good teams, the Vikings, you know, playing up to or maybe aren't as good as the good teams. And you're know, going into this week when you were looking at DVOA and some other things, the Cowboys were kind of right ahead of the Vikings in many of those rankings. How does PFF have things? And uh, is this another opportunity for us to maybe change the narrative? Because most of the places I was looking, the Cowboys were ranked you know, ahead, if not by much, but they were ranked ahead of the Vikings um, 
or after this week, that would likely still be the same. I guess, how does PFF have this matchup for us? Uh, no, we have the Vikings higher in our Ooh. ELO rating. Um, they're a little bit higher offensively. In fact, we have Dallas as only the 11th best team in the NFL, and the Vikings as the 6th hold, hold best on, team in on. the NFL. I'm, I'm, I'm very confused a- here because I was put under the impression that PFF had a very strong anti-Vikings bias and that you did mm-hmm. not like the Vikings. You hated on the Vikings and took every opportunity to uh, take a crap on the Vikings when you could with your with your fancy stats and algorithms. So how is it possible that our lowly Vikings are ranked ahead mm-hmm. of America's team by your mathematics? Well, okay. You know, I, I'm critical of Minnesota, but they have a lot going for them. I think – Kellen Moore has regressed as a play caller. In fact, I tweeted out a picture of how the teams do after the script. Um, and the Cowboys are very good with the script and very poor after. Uh, if I'm Well, I have to look at that again. But but nonetheless, Kellen Moore came out, you know, like a, a, a with his head on fire early in the season and has regressed a little bit. That defense for Dallas, we, we all like to remember that Thursday night game where they shut down Drew Brees uh, the week after Thanksgiving. Um, but since then, they have not been a great defense. The only teams that they've really had success with defensively um, are teams like the Giants and, and teams like you know the poor you know, Dolphins and stuff like that. And they they've really had a hard time, especially you know those linebackers Jalen Smith uh, and Leighton Vanderesh, who you know covering backs out of the backfield. They've had a hell of a time over the past you know. Last, you know, last month of last season, and then the first, you know, two months this season. So, defensively, I don't think that they're in the Vikings class. Um, they're pretty good up front with Demarcus Lawrence, but they don't really have, you know, we have Robert Quinn too. But he's sort of slowed down a little bit. Um, but then on the offensive side of the ball, I think they're very similar to Minnesota. Offensive line is better, um, but you know, the receivers from Minnesota, uh, I think, are on par. And I think, you know, Kirk Cousins you know, when he's at his best is better than Dak Prescott when he's at his best. Uh, and, and so, you know, put that all together. And I think Minnesota is at least as good as Dallas and our numbers would suggest they're a little bit better given preseason priors. Whoa. I'm sorry. Cause it sounded like you just said, uh, Kirk cousins at his best is better than Dak Prescott at his best. But following Ben Baldwin has led me to believe that Dak Prescott is arguably the best quarterback in the league this season. Who's not named, Maybe Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson. How 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 is this a thing, Eric? Well, and he is he has been very good this year. I mean, he's you know he's answered a lot of the a lot of the calls um, you know that people have had for him since his rookie year. He's really struggled since then. Um, but uh, like I said, I think Kirk Cousins that those four weeks uh, in October were any were better than anything Prescott's ever produced and. You know, these are two quarterbacks I think are going to be starters in this league for a long time. And Dak's legs certainly uh, give him an edge over Kirk in the bad games that they have. Um, But in the best games, I think Kirk can perform equally as well, if not better. Um, But yeah, I mean, Dak, you know, that offense has been very efficient. I don't know if you saw the Monday Night Football game last night. That offensive line is playing amazing. Even Zeke can run through some of those holes. So it's been a pretty, like, impressive showing so far. Generationally. Generationally. Yeah, I mean... There's no question who the better best running back is in this game, and it's Dalvin Cook. But the quarterback position is a little is a little dicey. All right, I love it. I love it. So with all that said, uh, I mean we have the we we have the edge at the at the position that matters most, which is most, which is obviously the running back position. Uh, 
you know, depending on which, whether Kirk or Kurt shows up, we, we could very well have the edge at the, at the quarterback position. So, uh, it sounds like you might be leaning Vikings in this one. What, what, uh, which, which way should we be feeling? You know, it's a big matchup. The eyes of the world will be upon, yep. uh, the, this game. How do you see it going? How's it playing out? Yeah. Mr. Collinsworth Ooh. will be on the call, which is always fun. Um, so uh, for me, like, okay, Dallas is three point favorites in this game. I don't think that Dallas's home field advantage is a full three points, which means uh, the market thinks the Dallas Cowboys is a little bit are a little bit better than Minnesota. I think if you push back at that at all, a bet on Minnesota plus three or plus like a buck 50 on the money line it is a sound play. It's not something that I would, I would sell to anybody, but it's something that if I'm betting recreationally, I'd do. Um, I think Minnesota bounces back this week. I think Dallas is a little bit fraudulent. They had one of the easiest schedules in the first not, uh, eight weeks of the season. They have one of the hardest in the last eight weeks of the season. In fact, Philadelphia has the, is the third easiest schedule. So one of these divisions that can flip pretty easily is a Dallas team playing a tough schedule versus a Philly team playing an easy schedule moving forward. Um, I had the Dallas season win total undergoing into the season. So uh, not only because I'm a Vikings fan, but also because I want to see Dallas lose this game. Uh, I, I I think the right side here is Minnesota. Um, the The way that this could go poorly is if the Vikings are not, you know, gap disciplined on defense and they surrender rushing yards to Dak Prescott on early downs when he fakes to Z. Because I don't see an issue, uh, you know, that 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 the Giants had, which is gap, you know, non disciplined last night. Uh, I think the receivers are ordinary. Um, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup have done a lot of good things against a lot of bad defenses. I think even with the Vikings sort of shortcomings newly found on the on the backside, I think they have enough. Uh, I think they have enough playmakers back there to hold Dallas down. Um, Dallas has no speed at the tight end position, so I think the Vikings can shut Dallas down sufficiently. And I think Dallas's defense is overrated, and the Vikings will have their way with them. There it is. Uh, I don't think we need anything else other than that, Eric. That was a, an amazing end to the show. I guess before we get out of here, I guess we always need one other thing from you. Is uh, What should we be on the lookout for? Obviously, there's the podcast. Any fun articles? Anything else on the go? Well, so yeah, we have an, a series by uh, Amazon Web Services where we talk about the best play callers um, of the league. Last week, we talked about the best decision makers, which is talking about fourth down and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to go to PFF.com, those are there. Do we? I really like talking about coaches and schemes and all that kind of stuff. And with our data set, yeah, I've really been able to get into the weeds a little bit with that. So check that out. Obviously, we do picks against the spread. We've done uh, <laughs> decently this year, although uh, our pick, our 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 highest pick last week was uh, Green Bay over 13 in the first half against the Chargers, and that flat, fell flat on its face. I don't think they scored 13 the whole game, um, but uh, mo- you know those have mostly done well this year. So uh, it's just been a fun season, and and honestly, again, it like it's just a lot of fun to be able to root for the Vikings. So uh, I'm going to take that opportunity on Sunday night. Mm, there it is. Well, as always, Eric, thanks for coming on, listeners. Thanks for sticking with us, and. Uh, That is it. We will be back talking to you soon. And if you haven't already, once you're done listening to this podcast, either head on over to YouTube, Facebook, check out the round table. This week we had David, Flip, Ted, and Yinka chopping it up, talking about the game. Things may have 
may or may not have gotten a little heated between Yinka and Flip, so definitely check that out. Or if video is not your thing, it will be available on this very podcast feed a little bit later on. So check it out. And yeah, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. A bit later on. So check it out. And yeah, thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Have a good one. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.